Hello, and welcome to Right Care at Baptist. Today, Henry and I will be talking to Jillian Foster, our system leader for pharmacy. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you give us just a little bit of your background and, and tell us what you do for Baptist? Sure. So I'm our system pharmacy and radiology administrator here at Baptist. I've been with Baptist for 10 years. I was at our um, Baptist in North Mississippi as the pharmacy director there. And then I was at BMG and worked with our oncology clinics. And then I've been here at corporate for the remainder of the time and just love working with our great team of folks um, all across the system. Great. Jillian is amazing and great to work with. She always has an answer to any problem that comes about. And so it's just great working with you over the past year since I've been here. But Henry, can you just kick off the show and, and tell us what you want to accomplish? Jillian, as you probably know, uh, having listened to these podcasts all along, that our focus has been uh, around uh, the impact that COVID-19 has had on a lot of our processes. And uh, a world of information has come forward in the midst of this pandemic. And and so as we, as we have moved further into the pandemic, we now uh, see that vaccinations are, are coming forward. And today's talk will be primarily around vaccinations. And, and wanted to just uh, key it off, uh, start off with a, with a big question. Where, where do you feel like we are in uh, the vaccination landscape? You know, so we're watching about four front runners that have the phase three trials for vaccines that we would probably see come to the market first. Of course, those four are Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and the J&J &J vaccine. Um, they're all projecting, you know, different times of release. They need to finish up the um, studies that they're doing. And I think we could see some as early as January. Um, it may be into the spring before those are fully ready, but um, we um, are watching those closely. Um, those studies are going on, uh, many of them worldwide. They're all shooting for, you know, thousands of patients to enroll. So we'll look forward to their outcomes and, and a vaccine. So, Jillian, you, you alluded to this, and, and probably most, well, many of our listeners may be familiar with the various stages or phases of getting a new vaccine out to the market for safe use. What, where are we with the various stages of testing? And this seems to be moving along awfully quickly. Yeah, so the different ones have reported the numbers that they have recruited. Of course, they're the ones I mentioned in the phase three trials. Um, those are the trials that are looking for efficacy compared to a placebo. So of course, in the phase three trial, um, they look for thousands of volunteers um, for a large scale study, and they are looking for um, immunity or protection against the virus compared to those that got placebo. You know, they're all aiming to see 50% or more um, efficacy from their vaccine. And so, of course, they are also keeping an eye on safety. And so many of them, per the FDA's requirements and in their protocol for the phase three trials, they will watch for safety very closely and monitor safety for seven days after the vaccine or injection. Um, they will also ask their participants to self-report for 28 days after the injection. And then they also closely monitor for any other serious um, adverse events that may occur six months after the vaccine in these phase three trials. And so, as you know, and you've seen, 
the AstraZeneca trial, one of the phase three, did have a patient with a serious safety event. It is tough to tell um, with these events, was it directly related to the vaccine or not? And so um, while they paused their vaccine trial in the United States, they have reconvened that um, in the UK. Um, but those are the types of things that they look for and report for the most part. As with other vaccines, I think they're seeing the pain at the injection site, et cetera. Um, but that is all part of their efficacy and safety work during these phase three trials. You know, stage one trials is looking at safety and, and stage two looks at safety as well as whether or not they even produce the desired effect, which in, in this case was neutralizing antibodies. And then in stage three, you really look, you're really looking for uh, after you give the vaccine, does this actually prevent patients from getting COVID-19? So we've been looking at safety uh, with these vaccines for, for quite a while now. Do you feel like the the national hesitancy about the vaccines is all safety or are they is it more concerned that they're just not going to work? Or do you feel it's related to the AstraZeneca piece that you just mentioned? You know, I really think it's that the community, even healthcare community, um, it gives us pause because it's happening so quickly. That's what I think the hesitation is about. So typically these phase one, two, three trials, you know, they take years, 10 years or more typically to study the vaccine and have that out on the market. And um, what I have read and understood, of course, looking at this COVID-19 vaccine development is a lot of that delay is related to funding. It's very expensive to go through the different phases and um, have commercial partners, et cetera, to be able to help the manufacturers do that. Whereas in the COVID-19 vaccine, of course, it's the operation warp speed, as we've seen it referred to, where the government has put that funding behind that. And so that barrier has been removed and they're able to move along more quickly. Um, you know, we're watching closely, but I, I do feel that they are they will have to follow the same rigor, safety and efficacy studies, um, even if the FDA um, does and probably will use the emergency use authorization process to approve them more quickly, they still look at and require them to submit um, that same safety and efficacy data for the final decision. That's good to know. And, you know, I, yeah, that was interesting. I, I think I saw that same piece about why these were able to advance so quickly and mainly had to do with just the security of having that funding available and uh, not having to worry about there being a market for it. And so not really even having to worry if it failed, you were, they were still getting some of that money. So Jake, an, an, another another question along those same lines, just given that this, this, this whole response to the pandemic uh, is moving along as quickly as possible, in, in some ways a little bit more slowly than we, perhaps we would have liked, but in other areas, uh, very quickly uh, with the use of medications and, and a rapid review of the efficacy of meds. As part of that, then the CDC uh, from time to time, almost on a weekly basis, may change their guidance for us. I think as they learn more, they try to share with us as quickly as they can. What's your latest guidance on who is to be vaccinated, the prioritization of vaccination, and whether it's felt to be mandatory or, or voluntary, uh, any, any things that you've read recently to give us some insight? Yeah, so the recommendations that we're seeing um, would be for the COVID-19 vaccine and the initial release of that, 
um, really to be geared towards those that are most high risk for receiving the COVID, for getting the COVID-19 vaccine, which makes sense. And so those, of course, would be our healthcare uh, workers. Um, those probably uh, most obvious would be in our COVID zones, as we call it at Baptist, which would be the ED and the ICU, but really all um, direct patient care, healthcare workers are going to be high priority to get the vaccine. Um, additionally, of course, the CDC and HHS uh, remind us that long-term care employees, healthcare employees and patients, as well as um, geropsych, behavioral health, would all be areas that would be high risk and should be in the, the top priority. Um, from a community perspective, first responders, um, and there are a lot of other sectors in the community that the CDC reminds us of that will be important to think about in offering vaccines during those first couple of waves. Um, school employees, I mentioned again, you know, first responders, police, fire um, departments are called out in some of those CDC recommendations. So um, it'll, it'll be a really interesting to, to understand when we begin to receive vaccine and how uh, we at Baptist are able to help with that prioritization and offering that. As far as, you know, mandatory or being able to, you know, consider what you know and, and make the best decision, I do think balance, uh, Baptist wants to strike the balance on that. I mean, we want all of our employees and patients to be um, given opportunity to protect their health. But I also think um, this is such a new virus and it is changing. And I think Baptist will also um, be respectful of people's um, desire to understand their choices on the vaccine. It's good to know. And, you know, so you mentioned a lot of the high risk groups and prioritization for vaccination. What about uh, pediatric population? Are they on that same timeline uh, for the adult vaccine or uh, are we expecting that to come later? Yeah, so I've seen a couple of the manufacturers that are in the phase three trials, particularly Pfizer and AstraZeneca that have made it known that they are moving forward with some pediatrics being included in their trials. Um, one of them was ages 16 and up. The other one was looking at ages 5 through 12. And so because those just started, they're just beginning to recruit those into the trial. Um, it'll be a month, months of lag, um, I would think, when they come out with a pediatric vaccine that, that has those indications. Um, and you know, the indications of all these um, trials, just like with any vaccine or medication, we will rely heavily on what the indications are, which will be, I think, reflective of the type of patients that were included um, and that they were able to study. Um, from a diversity perspective, um, it'll be interesting to see if we have any age indications. I've seen pregnancy has been excluded from some of the trials, and so, you know, we always lean on that. Um, for helping us understand uh, patient groups and populations that will be um, most appropriate to vaccinate, including pediatrics. Jillian, I think those of us that have been following the vaccinations and the products that are coming out uh, have seen that that some require preparation or preservatives that are being kept at a certain temperature level, uh, some redosing the dosing intervals. A change depending upon the product that that you're following. Uh, there, I think Johnson and Johnson may have a single dose uh, vaccine they're coming forward with. I, any sense on on um, what you're reading there? What 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 kind of guides you're capturing there? Yeah. yeah. So it will be um, 
quite a feat to operationalize this as it comes forward. So at Baptist, we, of course, are already planning for that and trying to understand all those different requirements. Um, if you think about all the vaccines and all the medications we have on the market today, um, this, this will just be one more, and, and we're confident we can do that and, and keep those um, safe for our patients. But you're right, all the manufacturers are studying the stability of these as they are working through their trials, and so they've even updated their storage requirements, thankfully. It's, every day I, I hear more and more encouraging news, like most of them now do have just a refrigeration requirement. Um, I think this new notion of the ultra-cold freezers um, and some of these unique storage requirements, um, you may have seen that you know, there's a variety of um, vehicles that vaccines can be produced, and there's a variety of technologies that can get um, the antigen to our system to produce the antibody. Um, and most of those variety of different options have been used in vaccines all over the last several decades. Um, but there are some new technologies that the COVID-19 vaccine trials and manufacturers are using. And some of those new technologies have brought with it just some stability um, issues that lean towards that ultra cold um, storage requirement. And so I think that's why it's, it's kind of new to the supply chain system, but um, we're fortunate that I see um, lots in the industry preparing for that with regards to transport. And as I said, at Baptist, we're preparing to be able to um, handle that as well. When you when you refer to ultra cold or ultra cool, what, what, what temperature storage are we talking about there? Yeah, a lot of those are, are sub-zero, negative 70 degrees Celsius. Um, I know that the ones um, that are needing to be stored that way, thankfully, are going to be prepared and shipped that way from the manufacturer. They're going to be sent to us directly, as our understanding so far, and they will come in boxes packed with dry ice. And, and if those continue to be needing storage that way, um, right now, it, what we're hearing is those particular vaccines would be good in that, that box for 10 days. Um, and then if we needed to go further, we would have access to dry ice to be able to keep it that long, or we could thaw it and have a period of time, maybe a week, that we could store them in the refrigerator before um, they would expire. Each product, I think, is going to have its own unique requirements, and so our pharmacies will be prepared to uh, operationalize that. And is that the Moderna vaccine that you're talking about that was requiring that ultra-low? That's, that's the Pfizer one, okay. um, I know for sure. I believe the other ones have, have come forward of recent and said that they are feeling more confident about just the refrigerator um, requirement. And do you think we will operationalize just one vaccine or we're going to have a combination of different vaccines throughout the system? I feel like um, based on um, the allocation that we would probably take them all. Um, I'm interested to see if we get any um, help there with regards to will the manufacturers um, get coordinated where they send, you know, all of their stock to the southeast part of the country and then the rest of them send to the north. But I doubt it. I feel like um, it'll be, and that's, that's again, not, nothing new or unique um, to the drug supply chain. Um, that would not be unlike any other um, drug that we get. We sometimes have to source it from several different, you know, manufacturers, and they come in different sizes. And so um, this will be um, like that. I wouldn't anticipate we would um, turn down any allocation. So we need to be prepared to really handle them all. Yeah. And, you know, so since there's, 
multiple different manufacturers that we potentially be taking on. Um, are there any concerns, I guess, with will one be more effective than another? Will one require more doses than another? You mentioned, I think, earlier that Johnson Johnson had a, a one dose vial or vaccine, but the most I've been reading about had had two doses. And then any any difference in side effects that you've read about for for these different vaccines? No difference in side effects. And so far, you know, if they're approved, even through the emergency use authorization, I think as with all products, we, we will consider them um, safe and effective for our patients. But certainly some of them, particularly if they're single dose, will be much easier um, from an administration perspective. For the ones that are the two dose or have the initial and then a booster, uh, we'll really have to um, be prepared and, and we will be. Um, to do the right thing for our patients. So we'll want to understand when they get the first vaccine, we'll need to document that and have a way to follow up with them to get that second booster scheduled. And then it will also be important for the booster to be of the same manufacturer that the first dose was. So we already at Baptist um, document our vaccines and submit those to, um, to and through the health department and CDC you know, vaccine tracking system. So we would do that for these as well, which would be our mechanism to follow up and uh, make sure our patients get that booster. So Jillian, you, you mentioned distribution and such. How, how will we get the vaccine? Who, how, how, is it, how will it be distributed to us? So the ones that will have the ultra-cold, ultra-low storage um, have been said to come directly to us, directly from the manufacturer. Um, the other ones will be distributed through McKesson. Um, McKesson is already Baptist primary drug wholesaler, so we already have a relationship and account set up with them, um, so that will be um, a normal process for us. We'll wait and see how the allocation system works. We suspect our departments of health will be involved in that, much like they were the remdesivir, um, and then we would place our order through McKesson. So it may vary state by state. We, you know, we have we are in three states. Uh, it may vary Tennessee versus Mississippi versus Arkansas, and how how the distribution process goes or allocation process. Yeah, it could. And our our hospitals are submitting data even now about the number of patients they have and the different age categories. Um, and so I, I feel like the prioritization and allocations are, are likely being studied now and that we would hear about those as soon as a product was available. And yes, learn if there's going to be any differences between our state processes. We have patients who have uh, recovered well from COVID-19. We're grateful for that. Uh, any guidance or is there any concern about giving them a flu vaccine? They're in the process of recovering from COVID-19. Do we give them the flu vaccine? Uh, what, what, what's the current feeling there? Yeah, so there's no contraindication for a COVID-19 um, patient or one that has had COVID-19 to get the flu vaccine. Um, the CDC does say that um, it is still appropriate for patients even with mild illnesses to be vaccinated, um, particularly with the flu vaccine. 
So I think um, our thinking around and our infectious disease physicians thinking around the flu vaccine is that even our COVID-19 positive patients in the hospital, as they're nearing discharge, um, would, may still have a mild illness, but if they are um, improving enough to go home, um, we would be happy to give them a flu vaccine and feel that that is appropriate. We typically do that closer to discharge anyway. And so this, this is gonna be a, a great year for folks to get their flu vaccine for sure. Any adverse or enhancement or deleterious effect from getting the flu vaccine on the heels of recovering from COVID-19 that you, you've heard or read about? Not that we've heard or read about so far, no. And then back to the COVID-19 vaccine, just what are some of the operational challenges other than the, the need for that ultra low or potentially need for that ultra low temperature that, that you're running into? and, and or what are we doing to to plan, I guess, for the, the ongoing need for vaccination? Yeah, I think that just like we prepare for the flu vaccine season, it's really important for us to get input from our physicians and read from the CDC and the other um, advisory committees on vaccines um, about screening patients for vaccines. So kind of planning out and thinking of our normal processes is that we would build an EPIC um, for our clinics, for our hospitals, um, for our employees. Um, what is the screening criteria for a COVID-19 vaccine in the different phases of allocation? I mean, we're hearing we, we may get a burst of allocation um, in what we're calling phase one. We're hoping and hearing that the time between phase one and phase two would be very short. But in phase two, when the manufacturers produce another um, batch of vaccine that will give us more opportunity to vaccinate patients and employees. So we just have had to plan um, who is most at risk and who would really be in that phase one and be prepared for that. As we understand our allocation numbers, then we can apply it to our screening um, and, and open that up as we get more product. So I think that's really going to be the key um, to our operational plan as we move forward. Now you just gave me a little heartburn there. Now I'm just thinking about all the different changes that are going to be requested for, for Epic uh, going forward to, to deliver this. I can see the need for education built in there, of what the patient needs to expect as far as side effects go and what to do if, if X, Y, and Z happen, you know, what patients will qualify for it, uh, you know, and having some sort of alert built out that uh, they may be uh, eligible for the vaccine and, and that'll need to be presented in clinic and ED and uh, patients being discharged home. So certainly uh, a lot of different small things that will need to come together, I think. For sure. So I think we are kind of nearing the end of the episode. Uh, Henry, any last comments on on what we should be expecting with this vaccine? No, but uh, other than just sit sit uh, by and, and pay attention, the news uh, seems to be changing almost on a weekly basis around uh, which vaccines will be coming forward and, and how you will receive your vaccine and who the prioritization to, to receive the vaccine, kind of the first in line. Uh, I, I, it, it can, in my mind, Jillian, come in two forms. There may be those who are afraid to get the vaccine, uh, and then there may be those who rush to get the vaccine. So uh, I hope the supply and demand will, will, will be on par. Any comments or concerns you might have in, in wrapping up about supply and demand? No, well, I think that is true. And, uh, you know, we could certainly understand both schools of thought there. Um, I think for 
for me and probably for many, I mean, I do. we do want to read and um, use our judgment and, and watch the, the process, but I think we um, have to trust the process too and that the infrastructure is in place through the FDA and through the CDC to make sure that whatever is put on the market um, is safe and effective. You know, just in closing, the the last phase of the clinical trials is phase four. That doesn't get talked about a lot, but that's the post-marketing phase. And so um, the monitoring and the studying and the learning does not stop after a vaccine or medications on the market. And so I understand that thinking around this is new and, you know, we want to see what happens when it more and more um, patients um, you know, are vaccinated and it has, has more time out there. But um, I'm encouraged and I think we will have a vaccine in the coming months and we look forward to being able to offer that um, to our patients and our employees. Very well said. I know I, for one, am very excited about the vaccine. I actually registered on, uh, I forgot which website it was, but you could register to be eligible to be in one of these trials. And so I did. Uh, unfortunately, I have not been chosen yet uh, to be a recipient of the of three vaccine, but very, very much uh, looking forward to hearing more about this. Hopefully, we will bring you back on the show in uh, a couple of months just to see where we are with vaccines and if anything has changed. Um, but thank you, everybody, for listening to Right Care at Baptist. Please remember to go and find the show notes at the bottom of the podcast, and that way you can take the survey for CME credit. Thank you so much.